Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. This week, we're talking about Parshat the Ha'alotcha. It's a bit of a scattershot Parsha, so much so that this is actually a Parsha um, that we are told the, these two verses uh, can be considered their own book. So this Parsha has, has its own mini book of the Torah uh, in it, which you also might recognize as uh, Psukim, that bookend uh, the Torah service. When, uh, do such a thing in synagogue. Or when we, uh, in, when we actually start the Torah service. That's correct. Yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of different directions this could go, but we're actually going to focus in on just one verse. Right, Rabbi Shantz? Right. That's right. Uh, and we'll see what we can make of it. Um, we'll, we'll go through the, the bit of narrative that it comes from. And I'll just sort of say that that it is it is a narrative that holds a number of different directions that I think might be tempting to explore, uh, and we're going to try to hone in on on just one dimension of that. We will probably fail, but but we'll still try. Um, it'll be Rabbi Shantas' fault. Okay, so this. Little little chunk o narrative at the beginning of uh, chapter twelve in Bamidbar is um, when Miriam and Aharon speak against Moses. Quick 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 show of hands. Who who knows who knows this chunk? Who's who's explored this before? Huh? Table. Uh, all right. Mike. I'm sure you oh. all have. You just you you'll know it when you hear it. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they haven't. Don't, don't make people feel bad, Rabbi Schatz. Maybe they haven't. I actually think that I was making people feel included. Well, maybe you were go ahead. feel excluded, which, as we will see in these verses, is not good. All right. Keep going. Okay. I'll let Marlisa. Marlisa's here. I just let her. Um, <clears throat> Miriam and Aaron speak against Moses because of the Kushite woman. Now, the... This in and of itself uh, could be a whole avenue for a lot of exploration, um, which I'm going to acknowledge and sort of nudge us along in the narrative. But it seems that Moshe has a wife who is described as as a Kushite. Um, a, we haven't heard that before. His wife, Tifor, had previously been described as a Midianite. Um, C, uh, C, I skipped right from B to C. I'm going to go, uh, we'll go with C. Uh, it also seems like there is, there is some decent xenophobia happening here in terms of like, what, what is, what is wrong with this? Well, he, he took a Kushite woman. That, that's not good. Speak of Miriam and Aaron. That gets, the lens of the rabbi is kind of filtered through as, as being like, oh, it's, it's Moses not being a present husband. Uh, I don't think that's right. Um, and then they sort of compound their complaint. Has Adonai spoken only through Moshe? Has God not spoken through us as well? And God hears this. So this, this is also a common refrain 
um, throughout the book of Bamidbar. Early on in the Parsha this week, we hear about the narrative in which Moshe is encouraged to not do things by himself, and he and the Spirit of God descends upon the elders, and then two uh, two people continue prophesying in the camp, prophesizing in the camp, and the people get freaked out. And Moses says, "No, that's a good thing." So there's this tension about. Um, does God only speak to Moshe or does God speak through other people as well? Also, a rich avenue for exploration. Also, not necessarily what we're going to be exploring this morning. Uh, the Rabbi Schatz will be teaching courses on all of these things that we're not doing this morning over the course of the next 25 hours. But that's not what we're doing today. Um, and then this sort of seeming non sequitur saying that Moses was, was more humble than, than anybody ever. Non sequitur, relevant. Uh-huh. Moving forward, God calls Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. A family meeting. Everybody come uh, to the Ohel Moed, uh, and the three of them went out. God comes down in a pillar of cloud. So, like eight, like like dad, dad's dad's coming downstairs to talk to the kids. Is is the image that comes to mind here for me? Uh, God comes down in a pillar of cloud comes before the tent uh, and and calls out specifically Aaron and Miriam. Says here these words um, and, and sort of clarifies what they were speaking, the, the second complaint about uh, the sort of status of a prophet. Uh, when prophets of God arise, I make myself known to them in a vision. I speak with them in a dream. But not so with Moses um, which is also an interesting idea. He's trusted throughout my household. Very interesting, this idea that, that God has a household. And, and furthermore, with him, Moses, I speak mouth to mouth, plainly and not in riddles. He beholds uh, the likeness of God. And then sort of going back to the first issue. And so how, how dare you, right? How, why did, how did you not shrink from speaking against my servant Moses as it, as it translates here, right? Why, why, why didn't you have fear? Why weren't you scared um, to speak thus against my servant Moshe? And uh, very sort of brief. And then, and then God, God turns on God's uh, metaphorical heel and, and storms off and God's angry and, and leaves. And as the tent, as the cloud withdraws from the tent, rather, uh, behold, Miriam uh, has Sarat. Um, and, and we've probably had these conversations on and We have had these conversations on and off about what Sarat is. Is it leprosy? Is that the closest analog we have to it? Is it its own idiosyncratic thing? Sarat often attributed to be because of Lashon Hara, because of speaking badly about folks, and that is often connected to this incident specifically, given what Miriam does. We can also have a conversation about why Miriam and not Miriam and Aharon. That's a third conversation I'm going to sort of put in the parking lot uh, and nudge us forward. Um, but Miriam has uh, Tzara'at, a, a stricken with snow white scales, as the translation here has it. Aaron turns to her. And it sees that, well, uh, that's what she's got going on. Uh, verse 11, Aaron then said to Moses, please, uh, right, uh, please, uh, don't, please, my Lord, I'll just read out the translation. Oh, my Lord, account not to us the sin which we commissioned in our folly. Sounds very Shakespearean. Uh, basically, um, forgive us, essentially, for what we've done. What? 
Just it's committed, not commissioned for those not looking at. Oh, committed. Uh, Commission sounds good. Yeah, sure. Commissioning commission, the sin commissioner. That sounds (laughs) like a fun job. Commissioner of sin. It's like something out of Batman. Batman's new, new lead villain against there's commissioner Gordon and there's the commissioner of sin. Would you watch that movie, Rabbi Shots? Sure. Yeah, okay. Um, so there's a very vivid imagery um, and disturbing imagery. Let her not be like a stillbirth which emerges from the womb with half of its flesh eaten away. So, so like if her flesh is being eaten away, it's, it's as if she's dying, like calling, calling out that much more how extreme uh, the situation is. Okay. All of that was the context for the verse that we're actually going to be talking about. Verse 13, chapter 12. Ba'itzak Moshe el Adonai. Moses yells out, cries out to God, saying, Lemor, el na refa na la. Translated here as, oh God, pray, heal her. I, I will just sort of leave that translation as is because there are, there's a myriad of ways uh, that this can be translated and sort of in that translation, which as we know is also interpretation, that sort of hints at some different ways of thinking about that. Um, but as we head into Kushio, I'll say that even though this is a short verse, both in terms of the way in which it is written and presented within a larger narrative and in terms of some of the themes um, that it raises, even though there have been a lot of other themes that I have uh, nodded at and had brief uh, 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 tangents to uh, along the way, I want to encourage us to stay on this. Skipping ahead, by the way, uh, God eventually heals her, but but not immediately, right? Even though even though Moses offers offers this prayer, um, she she still needs to be shut out of the camp for a week. So that's kind of how the narrative ends. Um, but I, so I want to make sure folks know that. But again, kind of trying to steer us back to verse thirteen as much as we realistically can. I don't know how much that is, but we'll try. Great. Um, okay. So let's, uh, let's take some cushy out. Let's see if anybody has any questions about this particular verse. Tybal, I saw your hand first. <clears throat> um, it's actually not a question. It's a musical note, huh? Which is that for people who like Debbie Friedman, one to me, one of her best, most haunting, I can play it on repeat when I'm not feeling well is her version of Elna Rafanala, which is on, I think, Water at the Well for people old enough to have CDs. Though it doesn't seem to be out there on YouTube. All right. Thank you. Uh, Renee. I don't know which part you're doing Kushiot on, but um, it occurred to me. That one line. So we're doing Kushiot on Elna Rafanala. <clears throat> oh, okay. Well, then that is not what I wanted to ask about. <laughs> So, okay. You can still ask. I might not. Okay, well, I wanted to ask about the uh, Kushite woman. Like, do we know who she is? And also, um, did she come around before or after Sipor? Great. Okay. We, I, I actually didn't look into, I'm, I'm not sure that I know the answer to the second part of that question, but, um, but maybe we will look into her a little bit more in something like Midrasha or something, and I will be happy to answer it there. Uh, Mike. 
Okay. Uh, I'm just wondering if uh, how this all relates, how that that one pasuk relates to uh, Moshe's humility. I mean, it, it seems to exemplify his humility. If I'm not, if I'm not incorrect. The El Narafana la piece. Is that what does that mean again? Because I'm not. Oh, yeah, it means God, please heal her. That's please. what I thought. Yeah. yeah, I think it exemplifies. Uh, or my question would be: Doesn't yeah. isn't that uh, uh, exemplify his extreme humility? And taken with everything else uh, in the parsha, you know, with the the seventy elders helping him, and the and the fact that he has um, asked God, you know, just to die practically because, like, uh, the the complaints of the people, it would seem that God is trying to tell us, um, look at Moshe, look at the kind of leader he is. He in the spite of all of this, even from his own family, he is uh, exemplifying humility, and he's showing us that uh, uh, the better course is to remain hopeful, remain uh, uh, try to keep going, uh, uh, be uh, have a different attitude, you know. So yeah, it's really, that's very interesting. I, I had not thought of the humility part um, in connection to, to this line, but it's interesting that you think about it that way because um, it does, especially based off of what Rabbi Shapiro read for us earlier, just this idea that all of the people seem to think of God as only coming through Moshe, which you would think would actually up his ego and not necessarily make him as humble. And yet when it comes to something that he feels like he has no control over, we see his humility. Um, so that perception of the people onto Moses versus Moses as an actual person um, is coming through in this line, which I had never connected before. So that's a, that was a really interesting comment. Uh, Nancy, go ahead. Okay, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. Um, Miriam is his sister. Yeah. She saved his life more than once. Yeah. She, you know, allowed him to have life, right? She, all of that. And yet all he says is, oh, God, pray heal her. Right. 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 And so why is it so short? Why doesn't he, you know, he's the one who talks to God. Why doesn't he argue more? Why doesn't he, you know, not even getting into the why is it only Miriam and not Aaron, but okay. Yeah. The whole like, why so short? Yeah. Great. The rabbis have exactly the same question <laughs> um, and, and wonder why, you know, now that he's done miracles for the people, why can't he do a miracle for her? Um, if you're going to be at Beitenu tomorrow, Aaron Pottybaum is speaking about that specifically in his drash. Um, so he'll give you a few answers as well. But yeah, it, it is surprising. And, and actually, I know that, I know that you are, are saying that it's the opposite of what Mike is sharing, but I actually wonder if it's kind of two sides of the same coin in that he maybe because he feels all powerful when God is kind of behind him telling him what to do in these moments of vulnerability where God's not telling him how this is going to turn out maybe he really doesn't know and so that humility comes about um but but yes I mean the the 
the lack of words, the lack of kind of miracle doing and wand pointing, you know, to make her better uh, seems to be lackluster based on what she's done for him um, as a sibling. For sure. Uh, Renee. So I was going to say something similar to Nancy um, that uh, maybe Moshe is feeling kind of guilty because of all that Miriam has done for him. Uh-huh. That he should be doing much more than, oh, okay, Hashem, please heal her. But that's, you know, he would say that for, for any one of his congregants or not his uh, people. Uh-huh. It, it, you would think that being that it's his sister, he's going that time, Ramakshan. That you would think that because it's his sister, that he would go a little bit more beyond the duty. Right. And I know right. with my brother, who I no longer have, he would have walked through fire for me. It just sure. didn't seem like Moshe's response was that big of a deal. Sure, sure. Yeah. So definitely in, in agreement with Nancy on the same on the same wavelength of, you know, wanting to take care of a sibling, yeah. especially who has taken care of him so so well over the course of his life. Yeah, Denise, go ahead. <clears throat> so I kind of felt like because they put it in context of like what they were saying about Moshe before and then talking about how he was so humble. Yeah. It felt like, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm like just horrible, but if it was me, you know, I would feel um, a lot of ego and a lot of like kind of personal vindictiveness. Uh-huh. If, if people were talking that way about someone that I love mm. and, you know, and, um, and we know from previous parshas that Sarat and all those skin things are directly result of how people are speaking about each other. Mm-hmm. And so, first of all, we don't have, as far as I know, we don't have any records of people dying from it. It's like you just get it, you go outside for a while, it goes away, you come back. Mm-hmm. Um, at least, like in my Torah study group, we're learning about it now. And, and so far, there's never a case of like if someone dies from this, it's like it's right. always going to clear. Yeah. So you know, maybe he wasn't like super worried about what's going to happen. And maybe he felt like, Hey, you know, she planted this seed. She got this tomato. This is how it goes. Um, and in that context, I felt like it was fairly generous of him to ask for some kind of healing because I don't know that she necessarily deserved that, but you know, maybe I'm just awful. I don't know. No, I think it's just a different read. I don't think you're awful. I think it's just a different read on on the per, on the personality that he has, but also on the connection, um, you know, between between the siblings. And there's definitely yeah. multiple ways of reading that sibling relationship throughout the Torah. So, um, so you're just taking you're taking the opposite view, which is um, which is totally fine. Um, okay. Any other any other kushiyot? Any other questions on this particular verse? Okay. Um, Rabbi Shira, you want to share any any pieces that you found, just so that you can speak? <laughs> I'll go after. Me? Yes. Oh. Um, it's in, it's interesting to hear the back and forth about you know why why did Moses do more versus hey Moses did did something. I'm actually not quite sure where where I fall on that. Um. There, there were, I'll say like one direction that I explored that I didn't hear folks ask about specifically that the verse brought up for me, and we can, we can get to this in a bit or not, um, is just the general concept of praying for healing, 
which of course continues to hold a role, right? And how and, and it's one it's one of the things we do all the time, right? When the Torah is out, there's a Hamishabarach, there's a a prayer that's offered um, for people to heal that has some distinct similarities and distinct differences from uh, the way that Moses prays for healing here. Um, and so I, I poked around with that a little bit. It was, it was interesting to see that. What I will say is in terms of the brevity, uh, which some folks seem to be taking issue with, um, did you see this piece out of Masechet Brachot, Rabbi Shas? Did you see that? I do have a piece out of Brachot, but I don't know if it's the same one. Well, I would hate to step on your... Oh, go ahead. You can. I have a lot of other things. Um, so I'll, I'll offer this then. There was an incident where a student descended to serve as prayer leader before the Ark uh, in the presence of Rabbi Eliezer, and he was excessively abbreviating his prayer. His students, Rabbi Eliezer, students protested and said to him, how brief is his prayer? He said to them, is he abbreviating his prayer any more than Moses, our teacher, did, as it is written with regards to Moshe, the prayer Moshe offered, El Narafan Allah. The student's prayer was certainly no briefer than the few words recited by Moses. Is that what you were bringing? You see that? Uh, I saw it, but I have a different one. So what I, what I like about that piece is... It seems to be, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's necessarily brevity is the soul of wit, but length and duration of prayer does not necessarily indicate, you know, kavana or, if you think of prayer this way, efficacy, right? That, that there can be um, meaningful prayer, even if it is not particularly long, which for those of us who like uh, a shorter uh, prayer experience, that, that's music to our ears. Uh, not me, but just if if there are people who are like that. Um, and because that's it, it's like, oh, great, prayer can be short, but because it's never just one thing, the piece directly before that in the Talmud goes in the other direction. Well, I'm, I'm not, yeah. I was going to also uh, <laughs> cites Moshe and the fact that Moshe prayed on Harsinai for 40 days and 40 nights after the golden calf, right? That there was a complaint against the student who was taking too long to pray. And Rabbi Eliezer first brings the example of how Moshe prayed for uh, a very, very long time, uh, saying that just because a prayer is lengthy, that doesn't mean it's necessarily problematic in and of itself, uh, which is less appealing to those of us who are eager to get Sholent on Shabbat morning in a vacuum, even though, again, purely hypothetical. Um, but what, what I'll say to that sort of in general is I think one sort of specific piece that this verse opens up is the question not just about efficacy of prayer, but about duration what what is the um sort of role of length of prayer compared to any of the other dimensions of it of course our tradition seems to be multivocal on it but i do appreciate the idea that just because a prayer isn't particularly long um that doesn't mean it's insufficient nor does it necessarily mean uh that it's that it's problematic which i think sort of you know nudges a little bit 
up against the folks who are saying, like, why didn't Moses say more? Maybe he really, really meant those five words, right? Maybe he poured his his full heart and soul into those um, five words. And that, that seems to have at least gotten God's attention in this regard, which I think is interesting. Tybal, you have your virtual um, hand up. Yes, because, of course, my Internet failed for a while. And now that I'm back and I just cut the tail end of what you said, it sounded as if you might have been responding to my chat on the shortest prayer in Tanakh. So did I miss any um, big summary? Or is there another prayer that's shorter? I don't think, I mean, I think another piece of it is, even though there are moments, it wasn't a direct response to that question. Even though there are moments when we hear about our forefathers praying over the course of the Tanakh, we don't, it, the Tanakh is, is not a, a manual for writing a Siddur, right? So there are moments when we're told that uh, the Avod pray, but we don't usually see what they said, right? So in that way, this verse is also kind of unique. This might be the short, I don't know if there's a prayer shorter than five words that's named this specifically. Might be what? This might be the only, like when I was looking at the other, other moments. Instances, where, yeah. It says that people prayed like Hannah, for example, and Abraham, but there actually, there actually aren't words of prayer. This might be the only prayer. Yeah. Yeah. So it's also the longest. Yeah. Shortest and the longest. Yeah, exactly. Um, so just because we're on this idea of prayer, and, and again, just to plug his drash, because he worked very hard on it, and Shul will be outside, and it's Beitenu, so everybody should come. Um, uh, Aaron Pottybaum wrote a really beautiful drash, basically um, talking about this line and his struggle with the idea of medicine versus prayer when someone is sick. Uh, so if, if you're interested in more of that, I definitely will not give it away, but I think it's something that even if you're not 13 years old, we think about quite a lot and yet we still do a Mishaberach every single uh, time we say the Amidah and every time we have the Torah out. So, uh, definitely means something to our community, but is, but is a challenging theological, um, uh, experience if, especially if you end up saying a person's name who does not you know, get, become healed from, from the experience of just prayer. Um, so I want to share a piece that actually, when I was looking this up, as you can see here, it says Ramah happy hour. Um, I noticed that I actually had taught this same text for, a, I guess I, a happy hour for Camp Ramah, um, when I was living in Northern California. So I, I was glad to see that I had prepared for this class. Um, oh, I thought about I thought about this too. Isirin Shalava. Yes, very good. Yeah. So okay. this is actually one of my favorite texts in all of Gemara, and it just happens to happens to do with with this as well. So some of you have probably heard me talk about it before, but I'll just read it read it through for a second. I'm just trying to move you all so I can see it. Okay. So Rabbi Chiyavar Abba was sick. So Rabbi number one was sick. Rabbi Yochanan went to visit him. So his student went to visit him. And Rabbi Yochanan said to him, are your sufferings dear to you? So again, we're not going to go into the theology of whether or not it's, it's good to suffer in this world so that you have a good life in the world to come. That's what, that's the premise for this sugya, for this part of Gemara. Um, we don't have to talk about that theological conundrum, but that's what they're going off of here. So are you glad that you're suffering is basically what this student is saying to his teacher. He, the teacher replies, 
not them and not their reward. So no, I'm not happy that I'm suffering and I'm not happy with the fact that if I'm suffering in this world, that I might have a good, a good life in the world to come. I don't know if you can call it life, but let's just go with it for now. So his student says, give me your hand. And the teacher gives him his hand and he stands him up and then he was healed. So the student comes to the teacher and the, and the student heals him, basically. So now Rabbi Yochanan gets sick, right? You know, he, he was contagious. So now Rabbi Yochanan gets sick. And Rabbi Hanina, his student, goes to visit him. And he says the same thing. Is your suffering dear to you? And the teacher replies, not them and not their reward. So the same response as his teacher gave to him. And his student, Rabbi Hanina, says, give me your hand. And he stands him up. So why doesn't Rabbi Yochanan stand himself up? And the rabbis respond, a prisoner cannot free himself from prison. So though this obviously isn't exactly what Miriam is experiencing, what, what I get from the connection of this story to the, to the moment with Miriam um, and, and Moshe is that it can be just the little things that help you either feel better or get you out of that which is making you feel in this funk while you are sick. And to me, again, not to give anything away from what Aaron's going to share, but for me, when we say the Misha Berach, it has very little to do with my belief that by actually saying those people's names around a Torah that they are going to get better. And it has much more to do with the idea that people in the community can, can give them their hand and help them stand up. Right? That there's this moment of, oh, I heard you say so-and-so's name. If, if you know the person, you might inquire about why it is that you said their name. And if you don't know the person, you might just say, can you tell me a little bit about why you, why you shared their name? In some communities, usually those that are a little bit smaller than ours, um, people are asked to share the name, but also the relationship to the person. So sometimes you'll hear a person's name and then they'll say my mother, right? Or my son or whatever. And then you even have a stronger connection as to, as to what to ask. Um, so I thought this was a very powerful bit of, um, bit of rabbinic, uh, story to share. And the only other thing that I want to share, and then Mike, I see your hand. Um, oh no, this was a different, sorry, I have a different source sheet for actually today. Um, but, and this goes to what Rabbi Shapiro was talking about in terms of prayer. And then Mike, hold your, hold your thought for one second. So this is from the Akedat Yitzchak on, which is a Hasidic text on, um, on this particular verse. And what the, this book says is the purpose of prayer is not to inform God of our problems, but to prepare our hearts to improve our ways before God. So, it obviously goes on, but that was really the, the main line for me. Just this idea that it's not necessarily that we're praying to God because, again, we think God is going to come to God's proverbial hand and, you know, heal the person or do some, some magic to make sure the person heals, but rather because then it connects us more strongly to that person um, and to, to our responsibility around healing them and making sure that they feel better. Um, not to go on too much of a tangent, but I think that mourner's Kaddish is actually exactly the same, uh, right? You don't, you don't bring the person back, obviously, by saying mourner's Kaddish, and yet you bring the person to mind much more so probably than random moments throughout your day when you say Kaddish for a person over and over again for those however many months you're saying it for them. Um, okay, Mike and then Tybal. I think both of those... Uh, texts were beautiful, and thank you for that. I uh, to mind 
uh, a Yisker service uh, that Rabbi, because Yisker in, in the, can be in the same way about yeah. not the person who died, but those around him. Uh, yeah. I remember, I, I remember Rabbi Klitschfeld, I think, gave a short Devara, uh, maybe not this past Yisker, but maybe yeah, Passover, Passover, Pesach, where he said, you know, that he, he talked about meeting somebody in the grocery store or, or some, uh, you know, something like that a few months after somebody close had died and mm-hmm. not, you know, seen in the person's face that they weren't all better yet. And so he encouraged us to, to look around and, uh, and see who's around and, and who's, uh, like who's saying yes or who, you know, who yeah. in the community think about who, what the losses and, and, and use it as an opportunity to reach out. And so in yeah. a sense, uh, I love that kind of like message. And, and in fact, I think a lot of, uh, this, a lot of what we daven in, in shul is including Kaddish is to think about uh, those around us and, and think about how we can reach out and, and help our neighbor or help our friend. And, uh, I just love those two texts, you know, because you. it is true that you can't, uh, sometimes you just can't do it by yourself. You need, uh, you need others help. And I, and I think in terms of this Parsha, it also speaks to, to the fact that, um, it takes a community to, uh, keep moving forward sometimes. And the right. stronger the community is, the better we are. Right. And I think to go back to something that Nancy started, um, that you're now echoing, you know, sometimes the person deep in to either the relationship with, you know, closest to the, to the person who is suffering from any kind of illness. Um, sometimes you don't know what to say and you don't know how to ask for that help. And you don't know, um, whether or not you want to say, I remember when my uncle was, um, was suffering from pancreatic cancer he didn't want his English name said in Amisha Berach, but I could say his Hebrew name because he didn't want people to actually know. And one of the things that I remember talking about with my brothers was not only do I want to say his name, but I also want other people to know that I'm struggling with the fact that my uncle has pancreatic cancer, right? So there's also something to be said for not necessarily knowing, and maybe this is how Moshe felt, not necessarily knowing all the words to say or the biggest prayer to give or um, how to do that magic. It, maybe it's easier when you're not as close in. And yet the people around you can then say, shouldn't you try this? And shouldn't you go here? And can I be supportive to you in this way? So um, maybe that's maybe that's what this line and this prayer is meant to make us think. Uh, Tybal. Um, I was thinking about this anyway, and then you started talking about mourners. And I don't know if I've mentioned it before. Sorry if I have stopped me. But there's a custom, a Litvak custom for Litvak shuls. And there are many Litvak shuls founded in the United States. But the only place that I've seen that still has this, it's called a mourning rail, um, is the Vilna shul in Boston because it's still the original historic building. And what, what it is is between um, – between where the sanctuary seats were and the bema, there was a physical rail, and that was the mourning rail, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. And when people were saying mourners' cottage, they came up to hold the rail. 
So everybody could see who it was. I mean, you know, if you have a bigger congregation, not everybody can turn their head and see who it is that's need of comfort. But I always loved that custom because, number one, everybody could see who's a mourner and then approach them, whatever. But also, kinesthetically, it's a physical thing that you held the rail when you were in need of comfort and you held on to it. Well, you say mourners, and I just thought that was a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I wish not just Litvak founded shuls, but I wish more shuls looked at that custom and said, oh, yes, because particularly, you know, I'm an out-of-town member, so I, don't, I can't always see. But at Batham, Batham's not like other newer communities, even some conservative, where everybody stands up because they're either saying mourners for the show. Uh, I mean, only the more only the people who are actually saying Kaddish stand, correct? At that time. Yeah, yeah, or there's a custom there's a custom to stand for every Kaddish. There's also a custom that if you're already standing, you stay standing. Yeah, so right. it's not that everybody is standing, but for right. the most but, part. Yeah. But I was about to say in more whatever you want to call them, progressive whatever yeah. congregations where everybody just stands routinely, I always thought then you never know who needs comfort. But even in a congregation like that, if the people who actually need comfort walked up to the morning rail. Anyway, that's my thing about morning rail. And sorry yeah. if I said it in this class before. No, that's interesting. You haven't shared that before. And I, I really am I'm fascinated by that idea. And it actually made me think of exactly what you ended up by saying, which is, I remember Eddie Feinstein taught his community at VBS that if there's someone who stands next to you, whether or not you know them, for Kaddish, you should stand with them so they're not alone. And I remember when he taught that, my youngest brother said to me, but then we don't know which one's the mourner, um, which is a very fascinating way of thinking about it, because, uh, you know, if you can't see their mouth moving, how do you know who's the person actually saying Kaddish versus just standing next to next to a person to be supportive? So, yeah, that's a very it's a very interesting custom. I never heard of it and never and never seen it. So thank you for sharing. Oh, uh, Rabbi, yeah, just to say uh, it's. Something, well, number one, you're young, but number two, is your family a Litvak family? No. See, then there would be no way to, I mean, it was really just a Litvish thing. Oh, I was just sharing that you had never shared it before because you asked. So I was just saying that I didn't know of the custom because you had never shared it. Oh, Um, right. But then I'm saying it's, I would know because one, I'm old, and two, uh, all sides are Litvish. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Rabbi Shapiro, I've done a lot of talking. Your turn. That was a really smooth transition. <laughs> I thought maybe you had stuff. I'm done now. You talk. I didn't want to step on your toes. I have more stuff, but I didn't want to step on your toes. I guess I would just reinforce, we, we've sort of veered into Kaddish, which is, you know, connected in terms of the role of parent community support. I would just reiterate, you know, I, I see so much in that Talmud text that you brought the role of relationship in, in healing, mm-hmm. you know, that, that no one can heal themselves. Right. Right. You know, no matter whether you would in, in order and, and that it's actually a twofold process that you, you have to want to heal yeah. and you also can't do it alone. Um, that we, we use that text a lot at the Juva, mm-hmm. right. That if, if um, you know, if you're, if you're experiencing addiction and you want to get better, right. First you have to acknowledge that there's a problem, but you also can't get better by yourself. Yeah. 
um, and how important that is. Um, and I would say as well, I mean, I've, I've acknowledged this when I've led services before the Mishaberach or whatever it is, you know, a lot of times when we talk about a Mishaberach, um, we talk about in terms of physical healing, but there are, there are multiple ways of not being well, unfortunately. And I think it's worth considering, you know, when, when we offer Mishaberach, it's not just about if somebody's experiencing a physical ailment, um, and right. how we navigate that too. Um, Along those lines, sort of going back to Mishberach, but what, I'll, I'll ask it as a question to the class, what's a main difference between the prayer Moses offers and the, the Mishberach that you know and love the way you see it in Shul now? What, what differences do you know, other than the wording? The length, it's not, it's not, it's the length and the yeah. meaning of the Mishberach. You know, his was right. just like a quick sentence, right. God. You know, God heal. It's, it's very general. Um, I think if I'm not, the Mishaberach also covers all kinds of illness. Like it can be um, right. physical or mental or spiritual um, pain that somebody might be in, not just like a general healing. Yeah. So those, right. So we talked about each of those a bit, the sense of one, brevity, uh, and two, uh, sort of the types of healing. There's one other big difference. This isn't what you're. Um, oh, yeah, is no. it, Rabbi? Is it one? It's addressed to God, but the other is involving community. That's that's not what I was thinking of. I'm breaking my own rule. I usually try really hard not to ask a question that I have a specific answer to. So I'm kind of playing game show <laughs> host right now. Um, and and just to be just to be clear, El Na is God heal, right? So God, please heal. I didn't say the last the other word. El Na Refa is is L is a name for God. So they both do, they both do acknowledge God and direct the prayer towards God. It's just different names for God are two different ones. This isn't what you're going to say. I don't think though, if you are kudos to you, but what I was going to share is that kudos to you for knowing what I'm going to say. But that's for everybody. Yeah. But that in the one that we say in Shul, um, we talk about those who support the person who's actually taking care of the person. Yeah, well, it's tough to do that in five words, Rabbi. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of... Yeah, no, but I just, I don't know. That's something that I, that has been added very recently in this C-door that we use. And I always think that's a very powerful one. Great. Sure. So we, we don't need a minion for a Mishaberach, Tybal. The only reason you might say, yes, you do need a minion for a Mishaberach is that often it's only done around a Torah service. Right. But if you think about the Amidah, every time you say the Amidah, there's actually a short Mishaberach within the Amidah itself. So you don't need a minion. What I, correct. I agree. Thank you. He doesn't say her name. Oh, oh, yes. Very good. He doesn't say I El think you just, I think you said it. Miriam. Right, right. He says El Na Rafan Nala. And one of the one of the hallmarks of the Mishaberach is the long list of names that that we kind of each stumble over uh, while trying to do it too fast. Um, so you know, like it it seems to be a hallmark of the way we do it now. It's like we have the Mishaberach list. One of the things I always can we put you on the Misha Barach list? Oh, I'm not feeling it. Put me on the right. And per what Rabbi Shatz was talking about, that actually can kind of be leveraged as a helpful tool for sort of noticing what's happening in the community. But 
it actually seems like that's relatively new. And there's a decent amount of sources that actually seem to indicate the opposite. Uh, and in the, in the Talmud, it talks about anyone who requests mercy on behalf of another need not mention their name and uses this as a specific source for talking about how names actually don't need to be cited uh, when praying for healing, which yeah. runs counter to the way, like, at least I have always normatively thought about it, right? And mm-hmm. I, I think part of that also goes to the question of um, what's the role of, of praying, right? When, when we pray for healing, what are we doing? Are we saying to God, heal this person? Are we reflecting within ourselves saying, this is a person who I know needs help and I'm committing to helping that person? Are we announcing it out to the community so the community is aware of, of people who aren't well and sort of rallying around them to help them feel better? Are we seeing it as sort of an incantation that by saying that person's name, we're making it more likely that healing will be bestowed upon them? Um, you know, I, I think that that's an interesting question. The the response that I found in a couple of Hasidic sources, by the way, that seems, so I didn't find anything older um, that talks about how you should say name. And in fact, I saw a few different sources talking about how um, you actually maybe, maybe even, sh- maybe even shouldn't, right? That, that the tour apparently says a person's name might be the cause of good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. And people might know the custom that when a person is really sick, you change their name. So maybe it's even problematic to say their name, right? right? Which is really interesting. Um, but I saw this in a couple of different places. The Degel Machna Frame talks about this, that he says, and maybe I'll, I'll pull up the, the window because it's, it's, it's gematria time, which is everyone's favorite, uh, time of day, myself included is that the gematria for, uh, what was it? Hold on. The gematria for, oh, stop, computer. Oh, computer. The gematria for na-la is the same as Miriam Yocheved. So when you read na-la, you can also read it as Miriam Yocheved. So he's saying El Na Rafa Miriam Yocheved, just like it's saying Nala. So it is actually also referring to her by name because of the magic of Gematria, that when you add up the numerical equivalency of those letters, uh, you're also getting that that he's saying uh, her name. Right, exactly, Taibal, that Miriam Bat Yocheved, except without the Bat, because that would mess up the gematria. But her name, Miriam, and her mother's name, Yocheved, uh, just just messing around with gematria, as we all love to do. Um, but it does seem interesting to note that gap, since it's such a hallmark of, of the Mishveach prayer, uh, the way that we think about it, and also points to an interesting shift uh, when we think about that liturgy specifically. Yes, Renee making challah in San Francisco. Um, actually, I'm not making challah today, but I'm making Shabbat dinner. Anyway, okay. um, I'm two things. One, and it may have been addressed because I've been going back and forth um, in terms of the Mishaberach also being suited for or suitable for, um, especially in this day and age, for caregivers also who are caring for sick people and not just 
the actual sick. That's one thing. And also um, that there's power in numbers. Like when they do, uh, you know, I've been a part of like Tillam groups for people who are sick. So when we say the Mishaberach, even though we're saying it maybe for a person, we're saying the name and it's, it's just us saying it. But the fact that there are other people around and even if they don't know that person, they're still hearing the name that somehow there's power in that number. Yeah. That's my two cents. Rabbi Shots, do you want to put on a bow? No, you can, you can do it. I'm bowless. Mm-hmm. You're going to, you, you get, you get last. Do you have one? Do you have anything you want to throw in there before we wrap up? A last text. A last text. Um, great. Let me hold on. I don't know if I have anything. And now the time is. I guess. I guess. I guess I'll. This is like the. I don't know. This is like the modern bow to this. So this is actually Modern bow. Other, this is the other piece in Bracho that I thought you might bring. Um, so it says here that it was taught in the school of Rabbi Yishmael that from the verse um, this is a different verse from Exodus and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed which are the same words used in our verse from here we derive that permission is granted to a doctor to heal. The practice of medicine is in accordance with the will of God. Um so I really liked that gematria piece. Uh, it's, it's a little, it's always funny to me when gematria works out perfectly that way. I'm always wondering like what, what came first? Did we, which way did we kind of pull a little bit to make sure that that gematria worked? I don't know. Um, but, but lovely. Do you think they went into the Torah and changed the verse to make no, the no, gematria no. work? No, no, That would be all. a very elaborate heist. That's like a, it's like a Bible heist. No, that is not what I was, not what I was saying. Um, but I think that also using this, this piece of of Gemara that I just brought, um, it also shows that, you know, even in saying something that is towards God, we are not giving up the idea that people and doctors and medicine and, um, anything else that can help with healing therapy, um, right, are, are, are available to us as well. Um, that it's not just those few words. And again, maybe going back to what Nancy was bringing up, maybe it's just those very few words that we had to say, but it actually is kind of, uh, stationed as a symbol for all of the, all of the opportunities that could have been done, um, and, and could be open to someone who is in need of healing. So, um, I guess my bow is that I hope we pay more attention to, uh, those names that we want to say or have in our hearts and aren't saying out loud or those people around us who are saying names during Amisha Barak to think about the ways in which we can be helpful in the healing, um, but also make sure that the healing uh, is coming from us as much as we hope that it is also coming from from God. So uh, with Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Amen. And, Shabbat. Uh, We will see you next week, and hopefully we'll see many of you in shul tomorrow. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.